Good morning to each one. I greet you in our Savior's name. This morning, it's good to be with you again this morning. Last Sunday, we were in Strasburg and had an enjoyable time there. But it's good to be back here again this morning and worship the Lord with you all. My burden for the message this morning is this thing of thinking like the world and its effects on the Christian. The Bible tells us, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Text verse this morning is found in Colossians chapter 2. I want to use the first eight verses for the sermon text, but verse 8 is the one that stood out to me. And I want to use that as the main verse here this morning. So Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So here in Colossians, the Apostle Paul shares here from his heart. He talks about things that are really important. His aim and goal goes for the church. He's not concerned about the temperature in the church building or how, how warm or how cold it is. Those, those thoughts wasn't even on the table. Paul is talking here about things that are really important to the church. Important for These are his goals and his concerns. Chapter 2 flows from chapter 1, where he was talking about his call to teach and preach the word to mature believers. Verse 29 says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. He says, That is what I'm working to do, that you might be built up, strengthened, and brought to maturity. So I'm going to read verses 1 of chapter 2, verses 1 through 8 this time. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Titled the message this morning, Beware of Vain Deceit. Paul wasn't the first one to preach the gospel at Colossae or Laodicea. 
Somebody else had brought the word, brought the gospel there, and started some churches. Paul had heard about them, and he's writing to them. He writes this letter to them. He says he is struggling for them. He says, I, I would that you know what great conflict I have for you. Remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. So how was he struggling for them? Is he talking about praying for them? In verse 2, he tells us what he wants to come out of his struggle. It says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Here he outlines the goals of his struggle. So when we look at Paul's goals and struggle for the church, what we see here is what the church should be focusing on. The things that the church should find is important. I want to point out three things that we see the church out of his own struggles. In verse 2, it's that their hearts may be encouraged. He also wanted them to be knit together in love. And he wanted them to reach all the riches of full understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. His first expressed goal here is that their hearts might be encouraged. Encouragement is important. So what does it mean to encourage? Encourage is a verb. It means to give support. It means to pass along a sense of confidence. It means to give hope. That is what you and I are to do in the body of Christ. There are people in the body of Christ who are gifted with the ability to encourage. They have a spiritual gift from God to encourage others. Barnabas was one of those. His name means son of encouragement. He had a heart to encourage. There is some, probably someone that comes to your mind right now that you can think of that is an encourager. Paul wanted, to do, wanted his sufferings to do that for the church. And in a general sense, we're to do it for one another. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as, the manner, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, or we could say encouraging, one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We are to be about the work of encouraging one another. In the early church, in the book of Acts, we see this often. Acts 15.32 Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. In Acts 16, verse 40. We see it again. 
So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And again in chapter 18, verse 27. And when he, speaking of Apollos, desired to cross the Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. And also in Romans, Apostle Paul says this, Romans 1.11 says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both you and me. He not only understood the importance of being encouraged or of bringing encouragement, but he also understood the importance of seeking encouragement from others. I need your encouragement just as much as you need mine. We all need to encourage and we all need to be encouraged. It's something we should be doing for one another. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. So how do we encourage? Let's face it. Sometimes the reason we need to be encouraged is because we're discouraged. What brings discouragement in my life is when I get my focus off of Christ. Then I need you to help me get my eyes back on Jesus. Back on His Word. Back on His promises and the hope that comes from them. That is what we need. Maybe you're like Peter and you look at the wind and the waves. And we're sinking. So we have to reach out to the Lord. And get our eyes back on Him. Paul's second goal for the believers in Colossae is that they might be knit together in love. Notice the words knit together. Remember, he's using the picture of a human body here. As the body of Christ, we are given that image of the human body. Our human bodies are knit together with muscles, ligaments, and tendons, as well as many other things. All these together make up the complete body. In the body of Christ, Paul says, in all, my in all my desire and my struggle for you, I'm hoping that it would knit you together. I want you to be knit together in love. So what does it look like for the body of Christ to be knit together in love? We're talking about the basic concern for one another. People relating to one another as if we really are a family. This is my sister in the Lord. This is my brother in the Lord. But are we treating each other that way? Do we respond in a true and genuine way? You have personality conflicts. Sometimes issues rise up. Drama sometimes comes into people's lives, and we don't like it. But we know it happens, and it separates people. It makes us feel awkward with one another. 
Then we start to keep our distance because who wants to be around somebody that doesn't like you? Then I look at a passage like this and I realize that I'm supposed to show them love. I think, Lord, how can I do that? You know, sometimes showing love is just a simple act of obedience. Loving not because I have this warm, fuzzy feeling, but because Jesus says in his word, love them. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, And above all these, excuse me, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. When you love them, it covers a multitude of sins. The third goal Paul expresses in his struggles is that the believers in Colossae, Laodicea, and the bank church might reach the riches of both the full assurance of understanding of God's mystery. Let's look at this idea of the full assurance of understanding. What does it mean to have the full assurance of understanding? Three reasons that I believe people lack this assurance of understanding. Number one is ignorance. They just don't know the Word of God. They don't know what it says about the fact that your assurance is in Him. Number two, I believe unbelief. They know what the Word says, but they don't believe it. And thirdly is deception. This is the person that knows what the Word of God says. They want to believe it, but they became convinced by the enemy that they are unworthy of it. They are unworthy of embracing God's promises because of sin. But who of us ever were worthy? None of us. Paul in writing to Timothy said, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of whom I am what? Chief of whom I am worst. Accept what he has done and accept the fact that it is also through your faith that you are kept by God. In Jude, verses 24 and 25, say, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, and majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Romans 8.38 For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe this is what Paul wanted for the churches. He wanted them to be able to say, I'm sure. It was a sign of a healthy church to be assured, to have that full assurance of understanding. Not only that, but also that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. It's Jesus. Paul wanted this because he was concerned about their understanding. He knew that their unity and steadfastness was not just a matter of love, but also 
of growing together in God's truth. Then in verse 3, he tells us why we are to seek Jesus as the riches in this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom, in Jesus Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is so much encompassed in these verses. The term hid here may be used for treasured up or laid up stored away or reserved. It does not mean unknown. The secret is in Christ, attainable by all who know Him. Christ then is the source from which all knowledge and wisdom come from. Then Paul gives his reason for giving these admonitions. Verse 4, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. This refers to an argument that sounds unreasonable. The problem is it is not true. That is why God gave us His Word and the Holy Spirit, so we can know what is true. Turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 13. We have a promise. John 16, 13. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He is going to lead us in the way of truth, in the way of all truth. Because the Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus, who is the source of all wisdom and truth. He's going to come and take what is mine and give it to you. He will lead you into all truth. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Two things I see here that Paul was pleased to see in the church at Colossae was their good order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Paul must have gotten a good report. Remember, he hadn't met these people personally. So he obviously had gotten a good report on how the church at Colossae was doing. He found out they were orderly. When something is orderly, it's not chaotic. It's organized. Why was he so happy to see that they were orderly? Of all the things he could have said, why did he commend them for their orderliness? To the Corinthians, who were often out of order, he said, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. That word confusion can be translated disorder. In the Greek, it refers to instability or chaos. God is not a God of disorder or the confusion that comes from disorder, but He is a God of peace. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus 
We read in John six verse in John sixteen where the Holy Spirit will take from what is mine and He will reveal it to you. I believe it delights the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ Jesus. He is the focal point. The second thing that caused Paul to rejoice in them and their fellowship is he was pleased to see the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. Their faith was strong. He was commending them for their strong faith. And it was unwavering. How do you find out if, you, if your faith is strong? It's when you are under attack. You can appear to have a strong faith when things are going well. But when something comes into your life that was unexpected and scary, that is when we find out if your faith is weak or whether it is strong and stable. These Christians were under attack from outside forces. And they were doing their best to bring false teaching into the church to derail, to derail them and to drive them off course. I believe that's why Paul is delighted in the strength of their faith. He wanted to make sure that they continued to be strong in their faith. So are you standing strong in your faith this morning? 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. He says, be strong. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We have an adversary, the devil, who is not on your side. And he is working to overthrow your faith. So Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. He wants to devour you. We also have a statement that God made through Isaiah to one of the kings. It says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. We need to be strengthened in our faith. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Stay in the word. Stay connected to the body of Christ. Verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This statement Paul makes here in verse 6 is so important. It's easy to miss if you don't stop and ponder what it means. We have a therefore. So what is it therefore? It points to before. Previous to this, he's been talking to us about the lordship and the deity of Jesus Christ. In light of those things, therefore he says to you and me, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Just as he, you received him, walk in him. How, do you how did you receive him? You received him by faith. Just as you have started this walk of faith with Jesus, now walk out your relationship with him in the same way. Romans 1.17, read it in the NIV, it says, For in the gospel of righteousness from God, 
is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This phrase from, from first to last in the Greek means from faith to faith. What it means is from start to finish, live by faith. At the beginning, you put your faith in Christ. Now keep doing that all the way through, progressively throughout your entire walk with the Lord. Just as you started out with Christ, so walk in Him. Paul brought the gospel to the churches in Galatia. He brought the good news. What is the good news? Jesus died on the cross for you. Just receive him by faith. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Galatians 3.3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, and you now being made perfect by the flesh? The word flesh here speaks of human effort. Are you trying to be made perfect by human effort? Our life in Christ begins with faith, and it is faith that carries us through to the end. In verse 7, he explains how we are to walk out a relationship with Jesus. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We could call these four keys to walking with Christ here in verse 7. We have rooted, we have built up, we have established in the faith, and abounding in thanksgiving. As Christians, we walk, but we are also rooted, and we are also built up. The metaphors are somewhat mixed, but the message is clear be established and keep growing. So let's think about roots. Roots go down into the soil and pull up nutrients. They also anchor the tree or plant into the ground and that creates stability. Why is it important that Paul is telling us to be rooted in Christ? Ephesians 4.14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. When you are rooted and grounded and anchored in Christ and some crazy doctrine comes along, you won't be pulled away because you're rooted, you're well grounded in Christ. You will recognize it. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Not like the tumbleweed that has no root. And it blows around whichever way the wind is blowing. We are to be rooted in Jesus. We are to be rooted in the Word. Next key here is built up. We are to be built up in Him. This built up is in the present tense. It means ongoing. It's not a past tense. It's not a future tense. It's a present tense. It is always happening. You're to always be built up in Him. 
It's a constant thing that we need. Hopefully you came to church this morning because you had a desire built up in Christ. Romans 14, verse 19, I'll read it in NIV, says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It's mutual. We are to do it for one another. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. This is for when we come together. Let all things be done for building up. Don't do anything that's going to tear one another down. Because we need to do that which edifies. One more in Ephesians 4, 11, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We need to make a conscious effort. What can I do to build people up today? When we come together on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday evening, think, what can I do to build up? Third thing, we are to be established in the faith. This is also in the present tense. So it's ongoing, it's continual. To establish means to be settled in the faith. It refers to the truth of God's word. And what we believe and what we hold to be true. He says, be established in what you know to be true. So I ask you this morning, are you established in what you believe? There are things that we believe about salvation. There are things we believe about God himself. There are things we believe about heaven, about hell, and judgment. And whatever can be shaken about those things that we believe, then those things, could we say, are not established. We need to be established in our salvation and what it means to be saved. The fourth key is abounding with thanksgiving. Or we could say overflowing with gratitude. Again, the tense is present. It is continual. You're to continually, to be continually abounding. Overflowing with thanksgiving. Do you always feel thankful? Sometimes we feel the opposite. But it's not about feelings. It's to be continual. Are you habitually thankful? Do you have a habit of being thankful? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In every circumstance be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will for you to be thankful. We should be able to find things that we are thankful for. I came across a study that was interesting and I want to share it with you. And this is not a Christian study. Two psychologists 
did some research on gratitude, our thankfulness. In one study, they asked all the participants to write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. One group wrote about things they were thankful for and that had occurred during the week. A second group was assigned to write about daily irritations, things that displeased them. And a third group wrote about events that had affected them with no special emphasis on whether they were positive or negative. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic and felt better about their lives. They also exercised more and had fewer visits to the doctor than those who focused on sources of aggravation. I thought that was interesting. So be thankful. Have gratitude in your heart. It makes a difference in your emotional health and it can make a difference in your physical health as well. As believers, we should be some of the most thankful people in the world. So what are some other benefits of thankfulness? In being thankful and expressing thanksgiving, when we do that, it keeps our hearts in a right relationship with the giver of all good gifts. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Secondly, it reminds us how much we have. Thirdly, it saves us from harmful emotions and attitudes that rob us from the peace of God. Like dissatisfaction. You're dissatisfied and later down the road, bitterness may set in because I don't have. Instead of being thankful for what I do have, I sit and focus on what I don't have. And that leaves a poor Christian testimony. We should be thankful because we have so much to be thankful for. Another aspect of thankfulness is the expression of praise. Psalm 100, verse 4, familiar verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. This is what should be coming out of our lives. That is what others that don't know the Lord should be seeing in you, in me. Do they see in us a spirit of thankfulness? <clears throat> Verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Here Paul makes us aware of something that is important for us to be aware of. And that is that even as Christians, they can be taken captive. We're we not impervious to those things. In chapter 3, Paul addresses some things in the church in Colossae that, were potentially, that they were potentially being captivated by. The lesson is... The lesson for us is in these things that we are facing today that we're not being taken captive by them. Someone that doesn't believe in God thinks naturally. And the Word of God refers to him as the natural man. The Bible tells us that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. 
for they are spiritually discerned. So you have natural and you have spiritual. You can consider both possibilities. So what is it that is taking Christians captive today? One thing is worldly human thinking. Thinking like the world. Thoughts like you can't love others until you learn to love yourself. That's not biblical. Another one is couples living together before marriage to see if they're compatible. That is biblically forbidden. The world has it messed up because they have been dragged away. They've been taken captive by worldly thinking. Homosexuality is looked at as normal and okay. But in the end, they are hollow and empty. They are predicated on the principles of the world rather than the revelation of the word. Our view needs to come from the word, not the world. The false teaching among the Colossians was marked by an emphasis on philosophy and empty deceit. It was according to the tradition of men. This warning should be applied in different areas of our life. In our spiritual life, we must be very careful about, what, about the teaching we take to heart. We must compare everything against the Bible to verify the veracity of that which is being taught. Just don't take my word for it, but compare it to Scripture for yourself. So in closing, if you want to change this nation, if you want to change the world, tell people about Jesus and live your life in a way that is worthy of Him. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Shall we have a song?